Hello and welcome to The Worst Podcast. I'm your host today, uh, media producer Alexander Wilcox, and today we're going to be hanging out with Petros. Now, Petros is our product manager, right? That's right. But you, always have, you haven't always been one, right? No, sir. Just So before you were here, you were, I'm going to call it a serial entrepreneur. <laughs> uh, and I always found that really interesting. I'm the, the kind of dude that never went for the full entrepreneurial exploits. I was merely a contractor for 14 years, but you're the one that actually formalized it. You're like, I... Yeah. I have corporations and such. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I wanted to start out just like before we get into your companies, you, okay, where'd you, where'd you grow up? What were the stuff, like where'd you grow up? What were the things you liked to do as a kid? I want to uh, sort of build the whole narrative here. That's a great question. So I grew up in Hollywood actually. Um, grew up in Hollywood and then um, loved to play in, as a, on the street as a kid, like play baseball outside. We would build forts from random rundown stuff. Uh, run around, ride our bikes, get lost, just explore. <laughs> you know, be a kid. Uh, back in the days where, like, you just would love to be outside. So that was just, like, my, my childhood was just exploring. What did you want to be when you grew up as a kid? I know I wanted to be a weapons designer because That's I cool. liked robots. And then that I realized, so cool. oh, wait, there's other parts with that. I, yeah. I was cool. You know, it's funny. Like, when, you, when I think about what I wanted to be growing up and versus what I where I actually ended up completely different. I I would always like fantasize about being a, like a rocket scientist. Mm -hmm. I would like draw like spaceships that I would design or whatever to go to Jupiter and crazy fun shit like that. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed that. So I would like get lost in these fantasies of like being that kind of a person or that kind of a career. And um, you know, that's just not where I ended up, but I that was a passion of mine. I loved astronomy. Uh, my folks got me these uh, back when encyclopedias were actually physical. Oh, they got the Encyclopedia Britannica is like that's the, the big yes, ones. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. There was a series, like a science textbook series for kids uh, as part of that. And one of them was um, on space. And I would just like get so into that. So that's where my love of astronomy and, and space came. And I, I wanted to be an astrophys uh, a rocket scientist, excuse me. And, and then you realized how much math that entails? <laughs> yeah, I was on. like, uh, I'm good. So, so, so you're going through school. Obviously, as a kid, you want to be a rocket scientist, and then you start getting into high school. You went to college, yeah. right? So what did you pursue in college? Yeah, college, I went I went down the path of psychology, mm. um, psychobiology to be specific. I really liked- Oh, even harder. Yeah. It, <laughs> well, I see, I, I've always liked like you know the body and the mind, just how, how does the mind work? Why do we perceive things or process things the way we do? Mm. And also how the body works and why it works the way it does. That has always intrigued me. Um, and it was always something that, I understood intuitively, like when it, when it was explained to me in school or when I read, I was like, oh, that makes sense because, you know, it's logic. I, it would just click for me. I don't know. So I kind of like went down that path um, thinking I would go to medical school, but decided it wasn't for me halfway through my... It's a lot more <laughs> school because you yeah. finish your, in general, it's like you finish your four year and yeah. then at the very least you have what, another four uh, Yeah, like minimum residencies, like four more years after like... <laughs> eight years of school. Eight years of school after, after uh, bachelor's. Wow, yeah, so, so tw get, like 12 total. You get four years of bachelor's, and there's two years of actual academics in med mm -hmm. school, and then two years of rotations where you go to all the different uh, departments. And then once you're done with that, you pass your boards, then you go into your residency <sighs> where you actually practice in that. Oh, where you work you for technically nothing. Technically work for, yeah, but for nothing. It's, it's pennies, <laughs> right? But but so like, you know, eight years post, you know, undergrad, you're you're done. You're like, oh, okay, let me go get a job now with 300000 in debt, <sighs> and you're 30 or something. I don't know. It was just not where I saw myself. That's a pretty big sword of Damocles to be hanging over your head at that point <laughs> yeah. in life. Okay, so you, you, you finished school and what's your first thought? Like when I finished school, I was lucky enough to have some stuff going on for video. Yeah. But if I didn't, I would have had no idea where to go. Yeah, well, immediately I was like, okay, bachelor's, 
the bachelor's I'm getting is not going to give me any career path. Mm. And I was like, what do I want to do? I had no idea. And I, you know, I was like, let me go into research. Let me just go to grad school and I'll figure it out. Halfway through grad school. Let me go to school and take more school to figure out <laughs> yes. what I should do after school. I had no plan. It was like completely I like, I don't know what I'm going to do. So let me just at least pick something that I can get a job with mm -hmm. afterwards. So I went to a biology master's and um, halfway through, I was in San Diego. So that's like the biotech hub. It's I happen to be from there. Uh, everyone that doesn't know, I grew up in San Diego. So that's yes, it. it's a great place yes. for biotech. It's actually, after Qualcomm, it's probably our biggest industry. Yeah, industry. that's right. You're right. So uh, I was there and, you know, got introduced to a lot of the companies there and people. And it was just funny, randomly, I was at, at one of the jobs I had during grad school. And uh, this, it was so random. That's why I always remember this. One of my coworkers, she's like, oh, there's this networking event you know, downtown or whatever. I forget where it was. Mm -hmm. And I went, I'm like, okay, let me go check it out. And I ended up meeting the guy that I, I, I co-founded my first company with. I was more like a, you know, founding member. Well, I was lucky. Yeah, it was completely random. He was like the, you know, calling the shots, but it was just so random. I sparked with him and then he asked me what I'm interested in. I'm like, I've always, you know, wanted to be part of a startup. I never thought I could. And he's like, well, I'm planning this. You want to help us out? And I was like, sure. What year would you say this is at this point? This was actually 2012. 2012. Okay. So we've got decent internet. YouTube's a, really a thing now. Yeah. And I think I know what the first your first penure was. So which which company was this? This was actually – this one I don't think you're familiar with. It was called Omnibiome. Oh, okay. So we were the first company that actually looked at um, the microbiome of the va uh, the vagina. So mm -hmm. the vaginal so – if you guys don't know, there's different – all of your body, on and in your body, you have bacteria everywhere. So different compartments have different types of bacteria. The, the like flora your, and your fauna. Flora of, and fauna, yeah. exactly. So your gut has a certain thing, your skin, whatnot. So we were looking specifically at the vaginal microbiome and its impact on premature birth. Mm. Uh, there, it was long suspected that uh, the bacterial um, balance being thrown off would trigger some cascade that would eventually cause your body to like abort the child or uh, prematurely uh, born. So we were looking at biomarkers that could predict that to help develop a predictive test. That was like... That seems logical. I mean, yeah. we do that with gut bacteria yes, for sir. certain things now, so right. it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So it was, that was the first thing, and we, we got pretty far, but it kind of like got derailed because the CEO actually tragically ended up passing away. Oh, yeah. well, that's a, that's a showstopper that as was, well as a horrible thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was kind of like, it, it got derailed after that. So that's when I actually founded my actual first company myself with my, well, with my friend, I should say. Yeah, and that was... So so then what so this next one this was this is the VR company that's right? the VR company okay so what was the genesis of like starting this company obviously VR was hot yeah um just like web just like in 2021 with web three technology yeah. and NFTs so what was was it a client you had and that's what formed the company or was it no it's it completely like one of those stories where you look back you're like wow that really happened so it, it was um 2015 when like the VR thing was making a comeback mm -hmm. and Google had just announced their Google Cardboard. Um, oh, I remember that. I was at Google I.O. 2012 that year. That's right. And I that's, remember getting one. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so my friend's like, let's create a splash page. And so you can pre-order it here and see what happens. So we <laughs> created a splash page. <laughs> so it's like a coming soon, effectively. Yeah, pretty yeah. much like if you build it, they will come type of a thing, right? <laughs> so we put it up and we get like 500 pre-orders. I'm like, what? Just on the traffic from Google alone, just from wow. that, that announcement. Some good Google foo. Yeah. And then we got contacted by, I forget what the first company was. They're like, oh, can you custom brand these for us for like... A marketing thing? We're like, yeah, of course. We had no idea what the hell we were doing. And so we went and figured it out. And that's where it, it was born. Started off with his um, working out of his uh, his uncle's apartment, actually. And then we quickly scaled from there. But that's that was how it was born. 
Okay, so when you guys first started, was it making content for the headsets or was it actually just branding the physical things themselves? Initially, it was just branding the physical headsets themselves. Easy, that's a drop ship. Super easy, yeah. Basically, right? That's it. From there, we were like, well, this is a whole thing. This is an industry. And we had um, a guy that my friend knew, my partner knew that um, was, at the time, oddly enough, he was working on this thing called 360 Stories, mm -hmm. where they would travel to like cool like hot destinations and they would film all the main touristy areas in, in VR and you could like navigate around like Google Street. I remember saying something like that. They were trying to go like uh, heritage areas or, exactly. or interesting places that maybe a disabled person or a really old person that's couldn't right. get to physically. Exactly. And, and also for education too, you could use mm. it. For, but, but that's actually, those are great use cases. And so he was doing that and we were doing that. We were like, well, why can't we, you know, provide a service beyond just the headsets? You know, videography, um, app development, web Why can't development. we be soup to nuts? Web, yeah, We're leaving money nuts. on the table here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so from there, like we, we found, we started a team in Armenia. We had, uh, eventually we grew up to like 12 engineers. Uh, we had a designer and customer service folks. It was all out of Armenia. And the main company was here in the States, but our engineering team and everybody was in Armenia. And we started providing all these services. And that's where like the brand really grew to like a VR marketing agency. Cool. And so when... So you have your initial company formed. You start your with your first product, which is the 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 you know, for people that don't know, they're basically fold up uh, boxes that you put up on your eyes like this, and there's two lenses in them, but you'd hold it effectively, yeah. right? And you, your phone would go inside. It yeah, would hold that's your right. Phone. You put your yeah. phone into it as well, and it would make your phone a VR viewer essentially. Yeah, because your phone has an accelerometer in it, yeah. so you can just like that's move right. around. So it works just like modern VR headsets. Not as as, as nice, but yeah, of course. Less, yeah, less uh, sophisticated. Guess, sophisticated That's exactly right. So, what were some of your like projects you like doing with that? Because I mean, it's super fun. I got to film some some VR and uh, AR projects yeah. um, with various brands. And I always thought they were super cool. Yeah, that that's super cool. So, most of the things that we did was um, with a lot of large brands trying to get into VR and using that as a marketing strategy. Like activations or something. Activations, exactly. So we would work with a lot of companies. Like my my favorite one was The Simpsons. We worked with the 600th episode on the VR episode. So I got to meet like Matt Groening and the whole team. Which is pretty cool. It was super That's the rad. creator of The Simpsons. Uh, I, I as well. I, I got to meet him as well. That's right. So you were telling. Right. Where was that at? Was that at Comic-Con? No, that this was thing? actually at the YouTube offices in um, in Santa Monica. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's like the original YouTube office. That's the original YouTube office. Yeah, so I got to do a... Um, I, got, I met Matt Groening when they were doing a hologram Homer Simpson. That's awesome. Uh, during Comic-Con, during the Simpsons panel, and Matt Groening would talk to him like during <laughs> it. it. It was pretty cool. Man. I really enjoyed it. And, like right. Getting to do like activations like that or like some of like, my... To meet people that actually make the things I watch, yeah, <laughs> or work with brands I actually use is kind of my favorite stuff. Oh my god! Because I'm like I'm canon now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it's funny actually. I think I asked him then. I was like, "Are you ever going to bring back Futurama?" He's like, "No, I'm not going to bring it back." And I think you're the one cut, that told me. Cut to that, 2022. Cut to 2022. It's coming back. Yes, it is coming back. Thank I, you, Matt. I just refinished watching all of it, so yes, I'm, I'm pretty awesome. stoked. Yeah. And, so and then so how did that? How how long were you there for, and what was what was kind of the arc? Oh, actually, let me back up. What is something you encountered early days that you were not thinking about that was a real oh shit moment? Because I feel like this is something that happens a lot when you're starting a new project, <laughs> a new venture. It could have been operational. It could have yeah. been anything. What's something that comes to your mind? Yeah, the the oh shit moment was one of them was when Android came to us and they needed like I think it was sixty thousand headsets, something very large. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, and we were in a one thousand square foot warehouse at the time. We had maybe like seven people like doing the assembly and shipping and pick and pack and all that. Um, and so 
we had to figure out how to scale up the physical office spaces mm -hmm. as well as our employee uh, count, our personnel. And while that was happening, I think we it was like a series of orders that just came in that was just super exorbitantly large amount with good business coming in at the mm -hmm. time. So we're like, oh my God, we have like two, three months to get all of this done. And we had to figure it out. So we ended up finding this random obscure, because uh, we couldn't find a warehouse. We couldn't find one that... Because you need it now. We need it now. <laughs> we also didn't know how long this like high volume was going to last. So you didn't want to lock into like a really long yeah, lease. Yeah, we, we couldn't get like a two or three year lease, which is what a lot of these warehouses require. Mm -hmm. And so we found this um, uh, recycle yard where this guy had this random, like very crappy, like metallic warehouse, just junk. I'm thinking something out of the wire. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> and so like we had asked him to like give it to us for like a six month period. And he agreed because it was just dead space for him. So they ended up like, moving all this stuff out. And it, this was like very janky. Like there was like no like l working conditions. It wasn't built out correctly. <laughs> it wasn't built out yeah. correctly. We had to like get porta potties and all that. And, oh man. Oh, so yeah, like even it, the plumbing. There was nothing. <laughs> um, we just had electricity, which was great. But long story short, we ended up getting the spot. We hired up to 73 people to like work in the in the assembly, like in the in the warehouse. So a literal 10X. A little 10X. And at the same time, like managing client expectations and still like having that pipeline coming in. So it was just like, obviously a lot of sleepless nights, but it was so thrilling. Mm -hmm. But that was like the first oh shit moment that we had to experience. We're like if we can't do this, we're going to leave a lot of money on the table, number one. Number two, like we're not going to build a reputation. We're not going to- Kill build, your energy. Kill your energy, exactly. Because your current client, usually you use that to parlay into your next client. That's right. Like, so if you if you suddenly have that stop, you have to start searching again. Yeah. And making that value proposition is so much harder than when they're coming to you. Yeah. And you just need to prove what they're hoping. Exactly. <laughs> because they would get referred to us a lot of the time either word of mouth from other clients or Google directly. And so when they when they come to you from Google especially, um, if you don't deliver, it's gonna be bad, not just for You're your just reputation. Done. You're just you're, off the list. Google's now. not gonna give you any more clients. And we had a good relationship with Google. They would like, they were hand us all the high end clients because they knew we would. Which is a great partner to have yeah, at the moment. Super yeah. great partner to have. So that's that's kind of where that first uh, oh crap moment happened. And then okay, so you you have the company running. What? How did you decide? Or actually, did you ever want to be a CEO, or did you just want to make your stuff? I ran into. I thought I wanted to be a CEO. Yeah. And I've been making making stuff mostly freelance for like fourteen years. Up until being here, luckily. Yeah. And uh, I've realized I don't want to be a CEO watching my best friend go through it. So how is yeah. that for you? First of all, it's super stressful. So I don't know if, like, I, I don't think that I wanted to be a CEO. I remember, like, when I was in grad school starting off with business, uh, when I met that first first guy that we did the, the, the biotech with, I just remember not being satisfied with where I was in life. Like, I didn't want to be like, oh, I have a graduate degree, cool. And just rest on your laurels yeah, on that. Yeah, I, I just like, I was like, I want to do something cool. I want to do something big. I want to do something impactful, something positive, something that people can actually benefit from or have fun with, whatever. Something you're actually interested in. And I'm interested in, yeah. Like, <laughs> I want to do something big. That was like my thing. That was the vague idea I had in my head. And, uh, you know, so when I was doing this, uh, the VR company, I was having a lot of fun. We were doing cool things. We were being innovative, you know, cutting edge, all that. Right in the way of when it was like super yeah. hot. We were experimenting, trying to build like actual physical headsets that were not cardboard based, and before you know, before that actually before started to they'd exist. Actually, yeah. Exactly. So we were trying to do. Obviously, like when Samsung and them came into the picture, the gear, the, the HTC, and all those. Oh, things. that's right. Yeah, the HTC Vibe, Vibe, the Galaxy Gear. Gear. That's what it was. Good then, memory. And it was the, of course, the Oculus was like the, one of the first. Yeah. 
So we wanted to make like the middle range headset where like you had the super high end with the HTC's and Oculus. Uh, so it'd be like gear a Quest was, 2. Yeah, exactly. So like gear was kind of a, an attempt at that. But we wanted to kind of like go into that market, that like middle market. It was mm -hmm. not quite a cardboard, but it was not like a huge HTC. A, a kind of piece of hardware that you could actually develop without being a multi-billion dollar company. Yeah, exactly. Per that was exactly right. But, um, you know, we couldn't land that. There was a lot of other problems that happened there, money being one of them. But um, but it was not like, so I never had the idea of like being a CEO. I just know I wanted to do something of importance. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what like led me to my next that's thing. It seems like if you can't find the opportunity that you want, you have to then become the person to make it. And then that means you have to be, I was a CEO of one, so yeah. I'll just call myself the infinite contractor. There you but go. yeah, to, once you start hiring other people and now their lives are like under, you know, your decisions, it's like, oof. Ooh, man, like I tell you, like the biggest stressor is the fact that if you don't perform, that person can't, you know, afford to live whatever yeah, the cost of you could be there. actively ruining their life yeah, in the could short be. term at the very least yeah yeah exactly and uh, that's something that like is a, is a huge motivating factor you want to do good for the people that work with you and do good for you and that mutual respect is what really can like drive the company forward at the same time yeah it's a bit of pressure cooker <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So then going from the VR, how did you decide to leave there? And then what did you go into next? Yeah, so it was a combination of things. Um, I had gotten the idea of the next company, which was, uh, so I called it Empower Pets. It was a, sort of a bigger idea, like create products designed around dogs' anatomy and behavior to help them accomplish goals on their own. And so to empower them to be independent and, and achieve things, right? The first product that I came up with was was Bristly, which was a way for dogs to brush their own teeth. Because mm -hmm. like that's a pain in the ass. Normally, oh you God. have to anesthetize yep. the dog. The, the, exactly. So it's either you anesthetize the dog, pay like seven eight hundred bucks, which you know is not only a lot of money, but it's also dangerous for dogs. They can die under especially smaller dogs, smaller and older dogs. Um, and it's the number one uh, health problem for dogs. Eighty four percent of dogs have that at least by age two. And it's a it's a it's a lethal problem. It can actually it lost can affect my your blood and, and things it, like that. That's exactly right. I actually lost my childhood dog because that oral disease had become oh. systemic and infected his liver. And so when I had um I had obviously I've always had dogs, but I had gotten two new puppies at the time mm. and I was like, I wanna just make sure to brush their teeth. It's a struggle. You try to do that. A human brush is not going to be very Yeah, they, they have these like mini dog brushes that are essentially, essentially human brushes. Yeah. And you have to like hold them and like pry their mouth open and struggle. Well, they and love they, that. Yeah, they oh, they love that. And who also like people don't spend the time. Uh, I, the statistic I remember like the market set was like one less than 1% of like pet owners actually take the time to brush their dog's teeth, hmm. which is like, obviously that's why the, it's the biggest problem. Well, that would explain why 99% yeah. of dogs are I, <laughs> Exactly, I was, I was talking to a vet, like she even admitted, like, I don't brush my dog's teeth, no one does. It's like the time. nurse that smokes. You're like, yeah, uh, like, we're, it's we're all full of, those, of our yeah. contradictions. It's just one of those things. So I kind of like came up with that idea and at the time I was still with doing my VR company, but as I started to develop the idea and it became a real product and I got some investment for it, I decided that it was time for me to like transition over because like there was something there. It wasn't just like a random idea. It was now time for you. So VR company's going well and you felt like you had some people you could pass that off to. Yeah, I mean, there was a full team and it was actually, you know, that, that was becoming more of like a, a marketplace anyway. Now it's actually just a marketplace. They're no longer really an agency. And so it was, it was at, at the time, it was the right time for me to move on because one, it was going a different direction that I didn't really have any value to, to give there at the time. Yeah. 
I didn't know much about that stuff. If you can't be helping, yeah, you don't know where to get why and you stick around. Exactly, and you know, like the my my partner was also my friend slash roommate from college, so it's like, hey, like he understood, and we we agreed that it was like the best. So Easy was, break up at that yeah. point because you yeah. have a good understanding. Well, I mean, we're still great friends. Like there was no like breakup. It was like, hey, I got to do this. Oh, I, it's, just, it's just you yeah, moving on. The I had next to do thing. it. Like I, I was super excited. This was where my passion was, and I've always loved animals. So it was like a natural sort of, I think, evolution. Mm -hmm. uh, but the idea had come to my mind, and I just like it hit me one day because I was like, what can we do to like fix this problem? Uh, and I think I was driving back from actually back to Orange County from LA because I would like go back and forth between the office and and home. Mm -hmm. And I was like thinking like, like what the hell could be the solution to the problem? And it hit me that I was looking at my dog's play yesterday and they love to like squeeze things between their paws and just chew on it. Squeaky so they, toys. They love they, squeaky toys. They push it between their paws and they chew. So you got to design something with the physical structure that allow for that behavior to occur so they can stabilize the brush because they put it down. So I had the paw pads and then there was like grooves on both sides and their teeth would go in and out and just brush. They're so effectively, you've tricked a dog into playing, yeah. but they're actually brushing their teeth. Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. So how did you start out with the, uh, obviously you had the idea. Mm -hmm. How did you come up with the design? Because, I mean, you're not a yeah. mechanical engineer. So just take me through how that, yeah. how that, start, how that, that started. It was uh, seven or eight months and $30,000 wasted. Woo! Yep, um, yep. But, uh, but this was essentially like I had sketched something out where like I knew what, what I wanted the, the thing to look like. Mm -hmm. Now, whether or not that's actually engineerable, manufacturable, moldable. That's the question. Because uh, like, yeah. oh, can this angle be made with an injection mold exactly. process? And I had like no idea about any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. Like I was this like bright eyed little guy like, oh, I want to do this and all these cool we'll make things. Make a cool dog brush. So it was like a lot of weird sketches of the idea in the beginning where like it was a bit much. But then like as I engaged with engineers and like mm -hmm. talked to people that I – I was just like making phone calls and asking questions. That was all it was. And people were willing to help me. It was funny. Like they would give, even if they weren't going to do a project for you, they would like give you some advice that you can take and learn from and then like iterate on or give you a contact. Yep. And so people recognize passion. If yeah. you are actively trying to do something and yeah. you are being like, here's what I'm trying to accomplish. People are far more apt to toss something to you than being go, hey, can you just help? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you're no, exactly I'm trying right. to do X. I think mm -hmm. that that hits the nail on the head because that's exactly what I noticed. And when people tell me like they want to do something but they have no idea how to do it, I'm like, just just jump in, just you try start. something, just yeah. start. By starting, well, I've always said with writing, I stress myself out. The mm -hmm. blank page is super stressful. Oh, dude. And so what I say is just start writing something, and then because everything is when it's mm -hmm. in your head, once it's on the page, it now it's there. it's there, and you can start saying what is right and what is wrong. Yes. So you can start answering your, your own questions there. That's a great, yeah. I, that's exactly right. I actually agree with that 100%. But um, so that's where it was. So I, I kind of like went in and I learned about the, the constraints that I had to, you know, work with and whatnot. So eventually I like found- Like your shape, your materials, stuff exactly. like that. And then how it's going to go through the manufacturing process. And everyone would tell me that this shape that I had come up with, the final shape that- well, was like the shape that ha it had to be because it had like a toothpaste dispenser as well built in. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it, they everyone kept telling me, well, we can't manufacture, we can't mold this because of the undercuts and here and there and there and there. I finally found somebody that was like, I could do this. I've been doing pet toys forever. Like, yeah, I got this. <laughs> I, I was like, yes, finally. Um, and so, so we got to a point where like he did the engineering and then he had a contact um, that would actually produce Kong toys. 
Mm. So uh, my toys were being produced with the Kong Toy Factory. We know those are high quality toys. It's like the fact that you just say the name and I I know exactly what it is. That's right. So it was like super cool that we got to work with that factory. Um, So that's kind of like how that happened. Okay. So you have your product. How did you go about deciding... I mean, I, I guess your market research was kind of done personally because, yeah. you know, people have dogs and people aren't treating their dogs for this. So how'd you go about figuring out where to place it, uh, what the market is, stuff like that? Sure. So I so I had some background. Like I did like some independent sales repping in the pet space when I was in college just to like, you know, make some money. Or so whatever. you had something to rely on. Something to rely on. So I had some some connections there that I like knew. Plus, I just knew the market very well. Like I had not only reviewed actual market statistics, but I also knew... Um, a lot of uh, you know, dog owners that like everyone that you would speak to, even if they weren't dog owners, whenever you would tell them about it, they're like, oh my, like, yes, that reaction they would get. It's not like, oh, that's cool. It was more like, oh my God. Everyone instantly realizes what yeah. a problem that is you're, you're solving. And it was genuine. And the reaction to the product solution itself was also genuine. So I was like, okay, there's something there. Um, but how did I go know where to place it as far as like, like in the stores or online? Um, yeah, or? yeah. Well, how do you know how to sell it? Like, oh, you, you know what your product is. So how do you know yeah. who's going to buy it, which people you need to be pointing at, what's, what's your audience is yeah. at the end of the day? So Market research. Exactly. So well, <laughs> I actually, I want to step back for a minute because what I did was I had initially gotten 100,000 investment, okay. which is nothing to launch a physical product. That is and ridiculous. <clears throat> physical <laughs> making a physical product is so much harder than doing anything digital. Yeah, exactly. And and mind you, we had already burned through 30,000, like get like the initial, <laughs> to, to initial thing like ready to at least, yeah, exactly. Or a like, version of it at least, yeah. It was like a sample, but like the molds were finally made after that, like, mm. you know, iterated and like messed up and whatever. And we had like a thing ready to go. So I was like, I don't have enough money to like launch this. I'm not going to, I'm going to burn through it and I'm going to get nowhere. And you're, yeah, you'll just be done. <laughs> so I, 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 um, I stumbled upon, I forget how I found them, but I found this, this company called I Love Dogs or iHeartDogs.com. They're like a huge e-commerce brand. A, like, subsidiary, a subsidiary of iHeartRadio. <laughs> <laughs> but they're this huge e-commerce brand. And so like I I think on LinkedIn or somehow I found the CEO and COO. It was LinkedIn. CEO and CEO of the company. I wrote to both of them. It's cold message, yep. Cold message. And they replied back and the COO was like, yeah, dude, I love this concept. It's brilliant. We want to get into the heavy, uh, the heavy into the dental space. You're hitting like a really pain point in the market. Like it was a pain point in the market, still is. Um, and so like he, they actually happened to be in Orange County, which was very coincidental. Very convenient. So like they invited me over to their office and I took some samples. And after the first meeting, they loved it. And we we did a, a one-year licensing agreement. It was exclusive, exclusively through them. You know, like they would buy and pay me for it and royalty and all that good jazz. But what that allowed me to do was leverage. Because you're getting marketing effectively. A huge marketing and, and brand you get recognition. To, uh, sales are already taken care oh, of yeah. for an X amount of units. Sales and marketing and brand recognition. And also like m- proof of market. like proof, To, to like, prove that people actually buy it and yeah. use the product. Yeah. And for the price point that we wanted to, which was oh, like never a problem. Yeah. How do you, how do you establish a oh, price man. point? Oh, my God. I'll, I'll tell you about how I did that. But long story short, we leveraged to launch it because I knew I was never going to launch it on my <laughs> yeah, own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we did that. And then we like that's when we like, after we were done with their, their one-year thing, we kind of like scaled from there. We took mm-hmm. on all the sales after that. But price points is interesting. You find, because this was technically a unique product, right? It was, yes, a chew toy. Yes, a dental product. It's kind of between yeah, the it, Venn diagrams, between two products. Exactly. Really. It was kind of like a market, like a separate like, um, space in its own. But I looked at essentially the rubber toy and the nylon toy market. And I looked at the uh, the dental market. The, the toothbrushes are like on the $11, $12 range. Mm-hmm. And then 
the rubber toy, nylon toy ranges, depending on what you buy. But like there was, there were toys that were, I think for a decent proportion of the market, like 18 to $25 range. When you're getting in the better, like a Kong, like your, like your, your name exactly. brand, your stuff that should be lasting. It's in that range. Plus the fact that they actually had utility beyond just the toy. Exactly. So I think I was like, okay, 19 bucks for the cheapest, 24 bucks for the, I'm sorry, the, the smallest and 24 bucks for the biggest. Oh, of course. In that range, right? Dogs. Small, medium, large. And so we kind of like, I would literally go into like PetSmart and Petco's, like look at the, I stare at the shelves. I look at all the products and like, okay, this one is like similar in size and like whatever, blah, blah, blah. Here's the price point. Classic market research. That's it. Like I would just go in and, and look. And I was like, I feel like this is a good price point. And it worked. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. So <laughs> then you're going through the manufacturing process. Of course, you're usually using China. Yeah. And, uh, you know, copyright law and trademark doesn't seem to be as uh, robust there as it is here. So I, the question I always have when anyone's making a physical product is, did you get knocked off? Oh, Lord. Did I get knocked off? Uh, it's an understatement. So at some, <laughs> at some point, it was so bad. I'll tell you how, like, a couple of the little examples. You know when you go on Alibaba and you search, like, a category of product? Definitely. And they have, like, a little icon of, like, that product. There's, like, an icon. I forget if they still do it that way. But, like, my toy, my product was the icon of the dog toy product oh, on Alibaba. My, you became the Kleenex of dog the, toys on Alibaba. <laughs> I was the Kleenex of dog toys. And you would go on Amazon and eBay. At some point, <clears throat> there was like over 1,200 listings of on each platform of the product. Uh, um, none of these are yours. None it's of these just are mine. Iterative of iterative, yours. Yeah. And a lot of these, by the way, were like um, silicone, which is like super soft rubber. Like you don't. Oh, they that would rip for, open. Yeah, I would think. Well, I had a very bad incident once that I could get into. But long story short, like we got knocked off so bad that like even those you know those Amazon sellers that make videos of like here's all the products to sell on Amazon. They would feature our product, like, oh, oh this my. is a cool, popular dog toy. Oh my god, that, it got it got bad. That must have been. So, what do you what do you do about that oh, in the moment? Is there anything you can do apart from just making sure people know which is yours? So that's a great question. So there's, it, it depends on if you have a patent or not, which we did. The the gray area comes where when your patent's still pending. Oh, you, for yeah. like the first year or two. Exactly, or yeah. because when I filed the patent. I wasn't going to sit around for like two, three years waiting for the patent to get through. Like you don't do that, right? Like you, you kind of like you go could for miss it. your the market if you're hundred percent can. So we filed the patent. It was still pending um, when this uh, when the uh, the counterfeits like ramped up, mm -hmm. and so at that point, all I could do was um, try to fight the messaging. Uh, I would obviously, you know put out you know, warnings and things on Facebook and our website. Yeah, like these and, are made of not great materials. And exactly, and did their counterfeits. I had people come to me, that's the example, where like this lady, I remember she had sent me a, a picture uh, of her dog post-surgery and the pieces that they had uh, took it out of his stomach. Oh. Because he had eaten it all and he had to get surgery to remove it. And that like pissed me off. I was because like, that's antithetical to what you're trying to do. Exactly, because you're trying to improve dog life and these people are trying to like just make a quick buck and it's like... The counterfeiters were not pleasant. That's you know ultimately what like had a lot of the downward pressure because we were booming. Yeah, we were doing great, and then hence why you were ripe to be stolen from. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny like you know when we did our version two on Kickstarter, um, we were so we became the first pet pro first pet product at the time only pet product to ever break a million in oh, cool. in orders. Um, and so we like we became very popular on, on Kickstarter, and that's when we started noticing 
the the knockoffs because I think they a lot of these like counterfeiters like they scour Kickstarter. They are. Like, I remember the yeah. Fidget Cube. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I did a product right. for the, uh, a knockoff of the Fidget Cube before the Kickstarter ones came out. Mm-hmm. I was doing videos for uh, a company here in Austin, and I was like, "What?" I thought it was the real one. I was like, yeah. "Nope, nope, nope, this is not." It's fine. And, and they, you know, the the sad thing is like they started shipping before, like they started selling before I even shipped that version two out. You know, uh, so, so it's you, like, yeah, you got beat to market by a crappy yeah. version. Yeah, I mean, of what granted, we do. had that one year of the original original sales with with iHeart Dogs, but you know, we were like doing our official like independent launch of like just us with an improved version, and like you said, we got beat to market. Man, that's rough. Oh, man, it was bad. It was bad. So, but when once the patent did issue, we started to like sue left and right. <laughs> yeah, which how, how successful? We don't get into specifics, but how, how do you feel you you did? From the amount of litigation you went yeah. after versus uh, things the, coming up your side, yeah. The um, the level of counterfeit there's still counterfeits out there. Obviously, you can't of get course. rid of them. But the the amount of like the difference, the difference from like how, where it was before to where it is now, like is significantly lower. Um, we went from like the 1,200 or so listings to like maybe a couple hundred. Uh, well, that's that's a big yeah, that's a big difference. When we were actually operating, so like after that, we had to kind of, I had to kind of like ramped down operations because they had pretty much impacted the business to the point where we oh. couldn't even. So the, the market was flooded at that the point. The market was so flooded. And the thing was like, you're building a brand name and you're not a Coke or anybody big where like, they know who you are. So if I'm coming up with like. You aren't a universal brand. Yeah, like we're not, you, you, exactly. So we're, we're, we were popular. We, you know, we would go to these consumer shows and trade shows and they're like, oh, I've seen you guys. Oh, you're that guy. Oh my God. So we would have that recognition, but it was. You know, specific to the, the you know the market that of people that we were we, we were in, but we we didn't get a chance to mature as a brand before that impact, before that 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 um, counterfeit sort of effect um, came into place and like sort of like dampened yeah. the growth. Yeah, like, like you you were a mid level company like trying to get into yeah. being like. I don't know, I we wanted former. to be like the, like a Kong, right? You wanted to be yeah. like a Kong. Like we had pl- plans for like multiple product lines and things like that but, but getting knocked off that early kind of like made yeah. it way harder to scale to that oh, point yeah. you, you pretty much just reduces your like not just your your revenue but your profitability like your your margin of course because you're having to pay more per marketing dollar to like actually get a sale because there's a knockoff being sold for three bucks but it's like very crappy material that can yeah. kill your dog and, and making the value proposition to someone that isn't paying attention to anything other than price yeah is very difficult. Yes, it's hard right. to explain why these two things that look exactly yeah. the same. I mean, I could I could make it and sell for that much too, but like I wouldn't be in business. I would hurt but dogs. It, it wouldn't be the kind of product you're trying to yeah, make. Exactly. So that's kind of what happened there. And I at that point I decided, like you said, like that CEO life, right? It was not just like a roller coaster for me, but also like there are people that were in it with me, like mm-hmm. my 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 partners, my friends, uh, my family that were actually like working with me to like you know, doing customer service and pick and pack and shipping and all this. You, you form a community. Yeah. And it's like, I can't like, you know, hold them back either. And it was like, I had to call it early enough to where like, that would give them enough time to like find something. You want to have some golden parachutes or yeah. at least some like idea. It's not just, oh, on Friday we're done. Yeah. And then people were expecting to work on Monday because that's, yeah. uh, you never want to have to do yeah. that. No, no, no. Like I was always transparent. Everyone knew everything that was happening all the time. They knew when we were up, they knew when we were down. They knew that like, hey guys, I'm scared. I don't know if like, few months from that we're going to be in business so like start to like think about what you want to do um when well, it's always really good to communicate that stuff because if you're 
forthcoming uh, about the health of a business consistently, it allows people to have more of an idea of what's actually going on and yeah. to be less afraid yeah. of like of some degree of volatility. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. I agree. So you're taking the company, you're, you're bringing it back down. So where is it at right now? Uh, right now, it's kind of like, uh, whereas I guess you can call it like minimal existence. Like we're in, we are in the stores that we're in. There's like physical retailers that we were in. Mostly in Canada, actually, more so than, than in the U.S. I mean, I have physical stores in the U.S., but because of the fact that I can't really operate it anymore, yeah. um, I haven't been able to maintain those relationships in the U.S. Um, in Canada, there's a, um, a distributor that I have that's fairly big that kind of like buys direct and like... So it's effectively like a drop ship to like distributors ship, right now. Yeah, but it's very minimal. Like there's literally that one client at this point, um, which, you know... I don't even know if that's going to be continuous or not. I'm not sure because well, it's hard to know with the with with the market exactly. So like at, at this point, it's just like it ramped down to pretty much like oh here's a client he orders whenever he needs it. Now I don't know if like we're going to be able to continue that relationship at all, but it kind of like I would say for lack of a better term died. Yeah, but it's always good to remember that 99 percent of companies do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. and and. I, I think people always go, well, it didn't go on forever, so was it worth it? It's like, yeah. no, you made an awesome product yeah. and you got to like actually change the lives of dogs yeah. and make people happy and go through that whole that whole process. Yeah. And after playing C Mr. CEO man, Mr. Entrepreneur, you've come to here to here to worst collapse. So yeah. how how'd you decide to make the jump to being a product manager from being a serial entrepreneur? It's funny, like product is like entrepreneurship. It's like being a mini CEO. Mm -hmm. You're like the CEO of the thing you're building in, in this team, right? And well, that's a very loose term. You're not the CEO in the sense that like you have like the decision-making ability. You're not doing operations yeah. as much, right? But yeah. like in the sense that like a CEO like will work on strategy, understand the market, like where to take it, what's Like value. you're more product-focused product CEOs. Product-focused CEOs, yeah. Like, so it's, it's like that. So it has all the similar elements of like creating cool shit and trying to like build a product uh, in the market where you see it going. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, that part of it was the exciting part of running your own company without the stressors of like, oh my God, am I, I going to like have a company tomorrow? Yeah. Or are people going to have a job tomorrow? Payroll. Like payroll. Just a big difference. Like you don't yeah. do payroll. You're not deciding uh, like healthcare or something yeah. or having to worry about HR. Like <sighs> yeah. these are- All the administrative stuff that just like make it not fun. That's the stuff that made me realize I didn't want to be a CEO yeah. because I- I really like making the thing. Yeah. Case in point. Um, <laughs> yeah. So like uh, making I, the thing now, guys. Yeah, I, I like to know like how the sausage is made and to be the one deciding what it's going to taste like. Yeah. You know. Um, so for me, like coming into a full time job, it was so interesting of having all these things I don't have to worry about nearly yeah. as much. I'm not getting having to get clients every month. It makes your job more sat if it's the if it's a good company, it makes it your job more satisfying and you're also more effective because you're not as worried. Yes. Like you could be creative, you can be you could take a little bit of risk and you can try things, you know, that are reasonable but it's more f enjoyable, I think. Well, getting to concentrate on your core competency mm -hmm. because like I'm not as great at sales or billing or <laughs> accounting <laughs> yeah. as I am at making videos or, or, or making art. So yeah. it's like it always bummed me out that like I'm, like I'm not as good as business as I feel like I am at making the thing. Yeah. <laughs> and having that disconnect was super frustrating. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I yeah. So then now being a product manager, what are the do, do do you miss 
being a CEO? Do you miss? Because of course there's the more stress, right? Yeah. But if you own it all, it's all on you. Yeah. I can honestly say I do miss it um, because I genuinely did enjoy the, the, the journey. Um, it was fun and challenging and that's what I like. I hate being stagnant or like bored. I don't like- It's an no. easy way to get depressed. Yeah. It's just doing the same thing It's like, oh, okay, long. this is easy. Like what next? So I, I like the unknown of it. And I like the challenge of it. So I, I do miss it for sure, yes. If, you know, if, if I hadn't experienced what I did, um, you know, maybe we would have still been in business, but- Well, of course, uh, you I, never I, know. I, I, I do miss it, but you know, I, I can't say that I'm like regretful of what, where I am now. Yep, I can I can understand that. Yeah. Like after having to run my own business for so long, the realizing just how much it was stressing me out on the regular, <laughs> yeah. like through my my everyday life, uh, I didn't fully come to realize that until a few months into working here. Wow! And I was just like, whoa! I'm not worrying about a client <laughs> paycheck coming in. Yeah, or I, I can be chill, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I get to work with people more than once. Yeah, that's that's right. that's been the nice thing for Build me. Build relationships, which are sweeter. Exactly. Yeah. For I, it's probably my last question for today. Um, I wanted to start talking about like looking forward worst collapse. Yeah. So we've got our Motley crew here. We're looking <laughs> in 2023. It's a bear market. Um, things aren't going great for Web three right now, but ups and downs. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about like how were you coming? We were trying to come up with a product we wanted to be uh, selling, and a, maybe a SaaS. We're not sure what it's going to be yet. And I wanted to know, like how are you going about? Figuring out the market because we don't want to talk about this quite yet. Yeah. Uh, for this, it's yeah. So I think it's interesting. Like it, you, like you said, it is like a, a bear market. Things are slowing down, but the technology is here to stay. It's not mm -hmm. going anywhere. So you still need a you know you you do need a the picks and axes and shovels and things like that to continue to build what you're building. Mm -hmm. in this Infrastructure space. is always going to be needed. Infrastructure is always going to be needed. So I think it's a it's an area where there's a lot of value to pursue. It, it, there's a lot to be done in this space. There are various ways that it can be embodied. And we think that that's where a strong play would be. And so when we were you know, doing it, obviously our, our director of product, Alex Wyckoff, has a lot of insight here and has, has really led the vision on that. We, we think that what we have sort of planned out is, is the way to go. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of uh, areas for improvement on the current mm -hmm. uh, products in that space. Um, and there's also a big gap in this particular area that we want to focus in, uh, which we you know can't really talk about much now. I know, it's, it's, it's like, so I don't want to talk, much to about, talk like, about it right now. Yeah. This is going to be the It'll, sweet tease. You'll round find two, out. Round two. 2023, you'll find out. Yeah. So we, you know, a lot of that was sort of logically understanding where the need, where the gap is, and also what sorts of things are going to be needed no matter what for this entire industry to be built on. Because you have to be asking the question, what is yeah, what is yeah. A, a mainstay? Yeah, is it main, exactly right, mainstay. And so when we decided that, you know, we were looking at how do we how do we do it right, how do we do it better than everybody else, and that's where the, the product role really comes in. It's like looking at the landscape, assessing what's out there. What is your baseline of like, hey, this is where everything is. We got to do it better than this. At least this and better. Yeah, to establish who the players are exactly. and then build out, okay, well, what are they giving? What right. are they giving it to? What are they charging? Yeah. And how do we do 
better, different, more exactly like your delighters and whatnot. So I you know just did a comparative analysis. What was that term? Your oh, uh, the, the delighters. The, del- you have the your, things like, that make people delighted. The must-haves and then the delighters. The must-haves oh. are like the seatbelt, right? Like you have to have a seatbelt in the it car. It needs wheels, right? Yeah. It needs wheels and a seatbelt, but it doesn't have to have like heads-up display, right? That's oh, your delighter, okay. like the ooh. That's the, that's the ooh, right? And that's how you like. You differentiate between like and this is not a knock on anybody, but like you know your 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 Honda Civic versus like a Be- Mercedes Benz or whatever. Yeah, or right? just a Honda and an Acura. Sure, or the or premium brand exactly. versus the the regular. Brand. Perfect, perfect comparison. And so like looking at that and what are those delighters? What are those must haves? Um, and and also like, more importantly, like we talked about earlier, price point. Like what is a price point that people are willing to pay? Is there any evidence of like people paying a certain price point already in the market? Is it a SaaS offering? Is, is it a SaaS one and offering? done? Right. Stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. So we looked at all of these things, and I think it's it's we do have a clear path in place. And it, you know, it's um th- there's a lot of value there. We we've gotten a lot of data points that indicate that this is a a a strategically beneficial uh, product to pursue. And so you know, as we move forward there, and you know, we build out, we look look forward to talk about that more. And uh, I guess one last thing before we wrap up, I just wanted to, I always think about this SaaS versus like actually just selling something one yeah. and done. Like, what is your opinion on that? Because I think from a business perspective, mm-hmm. SaaS is great. SaaS is great. From a client, from a user perspective, SaaS can be really frustrating. Well, yes and no. Here's how I think about this. Like SaaS, I think is a good model. Why? Because if I if I sell you something, right? You buy the thing and like that's it. It's kind of more or less. I'm sure there's like exceptions here, but it's like static, right? It's the thing mm-hmm. you've bought. SaaS, you get an ongoing, a, a dynamic product that will adapt to your needs, right? Like there's an understanding it would in be a general iterative. sense. Yeah, it's iterative. It's customizable for the most part. A lot of these, you know, things have like ways to customize with it. It's it's going to have support that comes along with it. There's a lot of value. It's not like here you go, go figure it out. You're on your own. Again, I'm being very vague here, but there's a lot of value that SaaS delivers that buying a physical one thing and that sorry, sorry a, a one-off product mm-hmm. does not both have their own space but i think SaaS for business use although you hate paying the bills every month <laughs> um uh, you know you find a lot of value and i had the same experience with with my companies like i was using uh, these um order and inventory management software platforms where like yes you pay them monthly but they provide so much value they automate so many things like even just like quickbooks before that uh, like, even you like have Quick, to pay for exactly, all these things like, you need them yeah so they make it so easy that the values there, the amount of money they save you overall, I think too, like the, the manual effort that goes into a lot of these solutions that the, the SaaS products have, that savings alone I think is worth it. So mm-hmm. there's there's a trade-off there. Well, that's that's effectively what we're trying to do. We're trying yeah. to make it a, something that will help people so they can save more money than they're spending trying yeah. to make these inferences without it. Yeah, exactly. Just the time that it's going to save you is going to equate to a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, the, the hope is we make something that people can't conduct business without because it becomes yeah. so useful. So that's the hope. That's the hope. <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, well, thanks so much for watching. Uh, if you, uh, Petros, thank you for having this on. This is the first of our like profiles of people on the team. Um, so I was really happy to do this with you. This was great. Thank you. If you want to check out our stuff, check us out at wrst.co or at our YouTube at Worst Collabs. I'm Alexander Wilcox. Thanks for watching.